0: We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Film Show. Today is Tuesday, July 18th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news and then also we're going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott. Hey everyone, how's it going? All right, Ryan, good to have you back. Uh, let's talk about the box office. It's been a little while since we've done that. Uh, we did a big Mission Impossible episode last week and then our rankings of the series. But uh, I guess to keep things on the Mission Impossible topic, at least here to kick things off, how did Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 perform at the box office? Uh,
2: Okay, so like it, there's a few, this is a complicated topic. Like it did well, it did well. It opened number one at the box office, which it should have done, it was supposed to do. Um, It... It opened with 80 million domestic across its five day opening because uh, Paramount decided to release it midweek to try to get a jump on things. Uh, so, that $80 million number was the best five day debut for the franchise, though, like Mission Possible Fallout had a slightly bigger, like three day opening weekend, for example. So, it's a little tricky, but uh, let's just look at the overall number right now stands at two, just like a few pennies shy of $235 million worldwide which accounts for that $80 million domestic and uh, just shy of $155 million uh, from international territories. Now uh, that's really good. The only country that it really performed poorly in was China. But as I've discussed many times in this podcast is that the, the America's relationship with China has changed a lot since the pandemic. So most American movies outside of avatar are not making money in China anymore. So that was to be expected. Hmm. Um it had a comparable opening to Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny domestically. But the key thing with this franchise and what I laid out before is that like something like at least 70% of the audience is overseas. Uh, Indiana Jones doesn't have as much of an overseas audience. So this is kind of par for the course for this franchise. And, and it actually is a pretty good looking opening a cinema score, uh, both uh, the audience and critic rating are well into the 90s on Rotten Tomatoes every indicator that even in the face of Oppenheimer and Barbie it's going to have long legs it's going to do well um the only question mark and you know is that can it cover that 295 million dollar budget that's the really rough thing but this movie actually has a better chance to do it than than Indiana Jones did by by a pretty significant margin actually
0: so. So are you saying that because of like the ratio to uh, how it's performed already versus the um, the budget that we know about?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And also, again, like, you know, a lot of people focus very heavily on domestic box office, which is fair. But but uh, again, like Indiana Jones doesn't is not going to cover the spread internationally like Mission Impossible will. So, um, you know, it's closer to like a 50 50 split for Indie, for example, like. Whereas here you're looking at like, you know, as much as, as much as it, depending on how heavily it weighs out, it could be as much as a 75% split for, for dead reckoning. So, you know, uh, yeah, but I mean, you're still looking at a movie that probably needs to make 850 million worldwide to just break even, Mm -hmm. you know, so that that's a tall order and mission impossible fallout didn't even hit 800 million. So, so you're asking it to do a lot, but, um, you know, it's it it it, it uh, it's got a shot at at least not being a financial disaster. But given how much money the movie is making, we shouldn't even be having this conversation. We should be having a conversation about, wow, Tom Cruise does it again. But, you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure like Christopher, Christopher McQuarrie and the people at Paramount are not thrilled about the budget ballooning to that level because this was one of the, the big productions that happened like right at the beginning of COVID and was shut down so many times over the course of, the pandemic um so like i'm sure the the cost just like you know launched almost exponentially uh from what they originally planned and the whole like back-to-back thing and like i guess you could maybe make some of the avatar argument that like potentially some of the money that they spent in this first movie could be either like um i don't know if, if you would call it like r&d or like maybe they actually shot in some locations yeah, like filmed some mission impossible would, eight stuff there
2: yeah that would be the hope that would be the hope that you could sort of count so then let's say you know dead reckoning part two comes out and you know the budget's even at like one hundred eighty million or something you know like then then you've got a really good shot at making more money with that because like this is you know you're leading into a part two of a mm-hmm. part one people liked a lot, so yeah that would be the hope for sure but
0: So I I wanted to ask you, you mentioned like, you know, the the idea that uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie are very much on the horizon here. And I I was curious about like the idea that, you know, these two big movies are coming. But like how have previous Mission Impossible movies, I guess maybe let's just limit it to like the McQuarrie era. um, How have those movies performed in the long term? Like have they I'm sure a lot of those films have been released in periods where there was a lot of competition. These are, these are big, you know, blockbuster tentpole summer type of movies. Um, so how have those films stuck? You know, like it doesn't strike me. The Mission Impossible franchise does not strike me as the type of franchise that is like the same type of thing as like Marvel, where a lot of people are like, okay, I must go on opening weekend because I don't want things spoiled for me. It's more, it seems to me to be more of a a type of franchise that is like, oh yeah, that, that's great, that's in theaters. I can catch that in week three or four, and you know, everything will be fine. But is the does the data actually support that?
2: Uh a, a little bit. Um so uh yeah, so like uh let's take Mission Impossible Fallout, for example, which finished its run with 786 million worldwide, which is by far the highest grossing movie in the franchise to date. Uh it had a domestically, it had a 61.2 million dollar opening weekend finished with 220.1 million domestic. So that means you're looking at like a 3.6 multiplier, roughly, meaning that like its final domestic box office was 3.6 times that opening weekend box office. That is a very, very good multiplier for a blockbuster movie. Um, So, and again, it made 220 million of 786 million domestically. Yeah. So not only did it have a very good domestic multiplier, that was a, but a fraction of the whole. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, could look at rogue nation had a very similar situation of a 55.5 million opening to 195 million domestic finish. Mm-hmm. So very, very similar here. Um, really, uh, you know, really it's like the original mission impossible. Yeah. Even going back to the first mission impossible had like a 45 million opening and 180 million finish. So again, you're looking at, this is kind of par for the course for this franchise. And again, much bigger overseas audience. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like like we were we talked a lot earlier in the year, like a lot of these, especially these recent Marvel films post endgame have been tremendously front loaded, um, you know, so. So, yeah, it's a bit different.
0: OK, and yeah, Tom Cruise, I f- I feel like he, you know, in addition to like just the Mission Impossible franchise being a globetrotting franchise by nature, um, I'm sure, you know, he's a producer on these. He's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing in terms of like filming and all of these Glorious, far-flung locales all around the world, and like you know, being as uh, fan-friendly as he is, and all of that kind of stuff. Like he knows that he's he's generated tremendous goodwill as one of the last remaining mega movie stars that we have uh, on this planet. So um, you know, there's a little bit of a uh, of a strategy, I think, to um, to making these movies. In the biggest way possible all around the world Um, because you get people excited about like oh this movie was filmed in my country and i'm gonna go check this out kind of thing too so um yeah awesome I'm, i'm looking forward to uh mission impossible Rogue Nation, or I'm sorry, uh, Dead Reckoning Part Two, um, but I'm really curious to know what you thought of this first part, Ryan, and we'll talk about that when we get into the yeah, water we can talk about that
2: later. But yeah, yeah. Um, um, so
0: other box office things. What what were some like? I guess other notable takeaways from this weekend at the box office.
2: Run over some real quick. So the one that shouldn't be surprised to anybody who pays attention to anything is. Insidious the Red Door, which opened last week and ended up topping Indiana Jones, even though it dropped 61% in its second weekend, it has made $124 million worldwide already. Uh and you're talking about a movie with a $16 million budget. Uh this is one of the best like return on investment franchises, maybe ever at this point. Um uh so you're looking at a movie that has a very good shot at becoming the the highest grossing entry in this franchise. Uh I mean yeah, I, it's 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 another, you know, uh, a a very, very nice win for Sony in the middle of a bit of a mixed summer for a lot of studios. Um, the other very fascinating story right now is Elemental, which is Pixar's uh, latest. The movie opened directly against uh, the Flash last, almost exactly a month ago. Kind of had a disastrous opening. And we kind of thought, like, because of what you're talking about, these things are typically front loaded. You got one weekend, whatever. Well, it has lagged out. It gro- It dropped just 9% in its fifth weekend. Now, Elemental, against all odds, has grossed $312 million worldwide already. Hmm. Now, it has a $200 million budget, but with the legs it's demonstrating, it has an incredibly good shot at crossing $400 million, and if it legs out really hard, could get close to $500 million. Absolutely astonishing stuff from Pixar here.
0: Wow. So that seems to indicate that... Uh, because this movie has not been released on Disney Plus yet, or, or is, as far as I know, it's not even available to like uh, pay to rent at home yet. Um, that seems to indicate that like maybe the Pixar brand is, um, is a little bit more bulletproof than we anticipated over the past like however many years, several years during the pandemic, we were like, oh man, Disney's making all these mistakes by releasing these Pixar movies and devaluing the brand and all of this kind of stuff. But people are actually showing up for Elemental in a big way. So what do you think this says about the future of Pixar?
2: Well, I think that the releasing those movies to Disney Plus was a gigantic mistake. And I still and I think that that definitely hurt this movie's initial reception. And I also think it hurt Lightyear a great deal last year. But I think that Disney's persistence and like this is going to be theatrical. We're going to wait it out. But I also think the one thing that you can't sort of fake or whatever is like, in contrast, The Flash was not received particularly well, dropped heavily week to week already fallen out of the top 10 for the last two weeks. Warner Brothers had no choice but to put that on BOD. Elemental, meanwhile, it's still in the top five at the box office. It's got great word of mouth. It's got great legs. You can't fake that sort of thing. So, of course, you keep it in theaters while it's making money. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that. But but I think that it does speak to the idea that if you give people a chance, Pixar is a reliable brand and this movie has good word of mouth and Pixar's quality is still there. So I think even if it doesn't break even at the box office, what the legs that it has demonstrated should signal to Disney, you must continue to invest in Pixar and retrain people that this is a theatrical brand and here's why it should be. And so I'm very encouraged by this, even if it doesn't like fully break even. I think that like the legs that it's demonstrated should signal to, to the wider disney folks like hey don't don't <laughs> don't you know abandon pixar yet mm-hmm.
0: so, so i'm curious ryan like you know i, I feel like you're very good at, at separating the creative from the business and looking at things from very specific angles and like from a purely business perspective pixar movies are very, very expensive to make. Like the, the $200 million budget for Elemental, I don't think is an outlier in terms of Pixar's budgets. We, I think we've talked about that before in terms of like DreamWorks uh, making several of their big hits uh, much, much cheaper than Pixar has. So I'm, I'm curious like what you think about that because like I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm surprised to hear you say Disney needs to continue to invest in Pixar when you're so um you know a lot of your your uh, box office reporting is is talking about how studios need to be tightening their belts and and not spending 200 200 million on a movie. Um so I'm I'm surprised to hear you say like you know they should be investing
2: more in them. Well, I'll tell you why and and I'll tell you why I think it was a gigantic mistake. Uh, I wrote about this a bit a while back but but so you had Luca soul and turning red three originals from Pixar that went directly to Disney plus and not just directly to Disney plus directly to Disney plus without charging a dime. Whereas you had stuff like Mulan or black widow, where they tried to do the Disney plus premium access where you had to pay like an extra 25 bucks to watch it. So Mm -hmm. you already devalued it that way, but here's why I tell you that Ben, it's all about like the, okay, what is, what demonstration do you have that it is worth this level of investment? Wally, hundred eighty million dollar budget, five hundred thirty two million dollars worldwide. Brave, hundred eighty five million dollar budget, five hundred fifty four million dollars worldwide. These are the lower end. Then you start getting into like the other originals that have made like tremendous amounts of money. Uh, you look at um, uh, let's see here, Inside Out, hundred seventy five million dollars, eight hundred fifty million dollar worldwide, up seven hundred thirty one million dollars worldwide. Ratatouille, six twenty six. Monsters, Inc., 560, like, you know, the Incredibles, like all these movies, these original movies that made a ton of money, Coco, 796 million. So Pixar was one of the last brands where truly original filmmaking could generate that kind of box office,
0: mm-hmm. you
2: know? So so I think that's why, okay, time and time again before the pandemic, those budgets proved to be worth it. Would I like to see them get below 200 again and closer to that 175? You bet. Yeah. But like, you know, but I do think that, you were looking at one of the few brands where like outside of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where you could say pretty much every time up to bat, that money was worth it. I
0: I wonder if like, you know, we always talk about Hollywood taking the wrong lessons from things. Do you think that, you know, Disney has already announced, Pixar has already announced that they're going to be making, uh, what is it? Toy Story 5 and Frozen 3 or something, right? Like they're, they're doubling down on the familiar IP that, that is, has performed so well for them. Actually, I think, um frozen three must be that's walt disney animation that's not pixar yeah Um, yeah
2: but it's still disney ultimately yeah
0: right right so so i wonder if like one of the lessons here is that like hey original stuff can actually still work in a big way um do you think particularly with
2: pixar particularly that's my biggest thing and but and then that's why i get so pissed because you sent three original movies in a row to disney plus like because i think the thing and i've talked about this a little bit is that like I absolutely invest in franchises like you absolutely like they're making Zootopia 2 finally I don't know why that didn't happen sooner Zootopia made a billion dollars right it's just smart to make a sequel like but at the same time like you are going to bleed those dry eventually you got to make other stuff that has the chance like Inside Out 2 is coming. Of course you make inside out too. The first one made a ton of money, but but that only happened because you let that original idea go in the first place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you've got to continue you've got to do both and Pixar was historically one of the best places at doing both. Yeah. So, you know, I hope that the idea is that you continue to do both.
0: Yeah, honestly, the the idea of doing both just seems like an old idea at this point like like a uh, an idea that has fallen out of favor with many of the studios and I guess you could just talk to you know point to the economic uh conditions or whatever or, or like just the the general um temperature of hollywood right now i mean we've got we're in the middle of a double strike at this very moment yeah so, yeah uh you know th- there's a lot of factors that go into this stuff but like i would love if you know that if if the success the ongoing success of elemental proved even wider than pixar hey you know original stuff actually can can work in a big way because like you said like you know if if everyone is obsessed with IP, they're going to have to start re- recycling this stuff at, you know, at at some point. So you got to start from zero and give people new things to then remake and sequelize and whatever later on down the road.
2: So, right. And, and um, again, but you even have little, little smaller success stories like uh, no hard feelings. a Jennifer Lawrence comedy is at close to 80 million worldwide. And that's going to end up being, I think a success for Sony, you know, it might not, it might not make much money in its theatrical run, but, It's going to get close enough that when you factor in the deal they have with Netflix, VOD, everything else, it'll absolutely make money. Yeah. Asteroid City, Wes Anderson's latest, is sitting at almost 44 million worldwide. That's good for that kind of movie. Yeah. Um, You know, so I think that, you know, you're seeing, and then, but you've turned to horror. Megan, what, $175 million worldwide for an original horror movie? Like, you know, that, you know, Smile last year, Barbarian, like you're seeing. And I know a lot of these are horror, but you're seeing the the point of like, yeah, do original things. And I and I do think that that's absolutely going to be something that that, uh, you know, uh, people take away and not not to get into a weird topic. But then there's Sound of Freedom, which has been making money for two weeks that made twenty seven million dollars. You know, it was number two at the box office this weekend. It's like a faith controversial faith based movie, but, uh, you know, an original nonetheless. So, you know, it's kind yeah, of Yeah, I
0: mean there there's a whole like host of issues around that movie involving like the uh, Jim Caviezel who is the star of it has been like, you know, sucked into QAnon conspiracy yes, stuff yes. and and even the like the guy that he's playing in this movie which is, is like QAnon. A, I I yeah. wrote a
2: bit about that and they also have this pay it forward program where people buy tickets that uh, then people who could not otherwise afford to go see the movie can claim those tickets. Right. So I'm actually writing a thing about this right now it might take a minute for it to get done but 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 in terms of raw reported box office dollars Mm -hmm. you know that movie's making a lot of money yeah (laughs) i've seen like
0: some some reports and and tweets and things like that where it's been suggested and i don't know I, i mean i certainly have no way to prove this so i don't know you know, don't, don't take my word on the veracity of this, but I've seen some videos and things like that from the inside, from people who work in movie theaters, taking photos and videos of the inside of, of screenings of sound of freedom and saying like, this is a sold out show. And there's like one or two people in this theater, like who is buying all these tickets. So there's like, you know, talking about conspiracy theories, there's a lot of like, uh, you know, stuff being thrown around about like, maybe, you know, far right donors are like buying up theaters just to juice the numbers and like, you know, make this movie seem like a a bigger deal than it actually is. But like, I guess to, you know, we can, we can put all of that stuff aside and just focus on what you just said, which is like, you know, actual reported box office numbers, like somebody's paying money to see these movies and like whether or not you're paying for an empty chair in a theater or what like the money is exchanging hands you well, know and I was talking the about theater, that yesterday
2: so. and I'm getting and I'm hoping to get to a place of getting some actual resolution to what you're talking about some of these things that are going around online but the, currently this movie sits at 85.7 million dollars domestic and it's got and it, it might get 200 million at this rate Man. you know and like to your point okay maybe those chairs are empty. The, the movie theater keeps half that money no matter what.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know, so yeah like, it's good for theaters, I guess, in that sense. But like, like
2: it's,
0: I don't know, it's, yeah, I think oh, it's, it's, it's bad for society to have yeah, a movie like this. Yeah, I almost like didn't want to
2: touch on this one because it is like a complicated bag of worms. But like, <laughs> but that success is probably going to lead to other, like you had uh, Jesus Revolution earlier this year, which was far less problematic and made like right. 55 million domestic. You know what I mean? So that's like another, you know, so I, I, I do... All this to get to your point that like there's enough other examples of like original stuff for various audiences doing well that like, you know, that should absolutely be a takeaway here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back for the water cooler All right, so let's get into it Ryan what have you been doing recently
2: uh I was out of town last weekend and I was a little out of commission for parts of last week uh, I had a medical procedure it's nothing serious but then uh but then which is probably why I wasn't on the podcast last week I'm not certain but um but yeah then I then I uh, ended up actually over the weekend I went to flew to Arizona which is where I grew up and met up with some friends and I actually went and saw uh uh, the Misfits uh, reunited with Glenn Danzig and played like a few shows around the country with the original Misfits as they build it. And hmm. uh, old school punk band called Fear opened up for him. AFI was also on the bill, and so yeah, I went and saw the uh, the Misfits in a, like 110 degree weather in Arizona. It was great. I
0: saw on your Instagram, you posted a photo of the t- of the uh, the temperature readout, and I was like. Dear God, is Ryan going to make it back to it was 115
2: (laughs) degrees. uh, But I but again, keep in mind, I grew up out there. Like people are acting like this. Like "Eh, eh," I hate to say that that was par for the course growing up out there, but it kind of was.
0: Wow. Um, But even in like a a concert uh, setting where like presumably there are a lot of bodies like smashed into a a small environment. Like is that are are you used to that level of um, of extreme? (laughs) I guess just extremity
2: at near 35 years old. Not as much, but I will say growing up. So this one was nice because like we get there, the opening band played and then like the sun was down. It's still warm, but the sun's down like the beating sun's not on you. I did four warp tours in a row where it was in July. It was at least 110 degrees and most of the stages were set up in a cordoned off parking lot that was on as top like asphalt blacktop. Mm-hmm. So it was probably 118 degrees on the blacktop, and you're out there in the middle of the day. <laughs> so, oh like, God. I did like four of those in a row, and that was in my 20s, I was in my early 20s, so like you know, it was a little more endurant. but um, I mean, it, it's just pure survival at that point. So, I have done <laughs> stuff like that. Um, wow, <laughs> but yeah, so this was much more calm. Uh, I yeah, so but it was still cool, it was like very cool to see. It was at this huge pavilion and like to see that many people gathered to like watch like old punks play was that was kind of cool. Like it was like, yeah. all right. Hell yeah. That was kind of nice. You know, awesome. Uh, you watch yeah. that many people, that's great to hear. you know, seeing that many people there to watch, you know, a band play Teenagers from Mars. You're like, all right, that's cool. I like that. Excellent.
0: What else you been up
2: to? Oh, uh, well, not much.
0: I, I've been talking on this podcast for probably like two years at this point about how my wife and I are building bookshelves in our and we're trying to make a library, like do built-in bookshelves. And so we bought all this wood at the beginning of the pandemic. And and we moved into our house in, in like, I think it was May of 2020. And like pretty soon after that decided, okay, we want to turn this room into a library. And uh, since then, it's just been this very slow process of like, we're doing the whole thing ourselves. Like we could, probably could have paid somebody to do it, but it would, would have cost you know, whatever, tens of thousands of dollars or something to like do it the way that we wanted. So we're just like, let's just do it ourselves. So I've like, my dad is real handy and he lives a few minutes away from me. So I've been like, uh, you know, luring him over to help, uh, use his, his tools and equipment and stuff to cut things down and all that. And we finally like got everything up and got everything, you know, uh, painted and, and, um, sanded and like varnish and polyurethane and all that kind of stuff on it so now we're finally done with that project which just feels like i can't believe that it's over because the the end of the tunnel has felt like so far away for so long but um yeah i'm I'm very excited about that now we're going through the process of like stamping putting a stamp inside of our books and creating like a digital um a database like a library so we can like rent them out to family members and friends and stuff holy like that. Shit, so holy shit that's so cool um, yeah so I'm, I'm excited about what's what it's going to look like we we actually have not put any of the books up on the shelves yet um because we're still in the process of stamping them right now but uh, i'm going to post a picture of like what the thing looks like just because we put so much like blood sweat and tears in this thing so uh follow me on instagram at ben paris if you want to see what that looks like but oh my god that's um, so dope
2: that's so awesome i can't believe i haven't heard about this before that's so awesome
0: yeah, I, I've, I've probably only talked about it like three or four times or something over the past few years, because it's just been such an incremental process of putting it together. And like, I didn't want to give like a blow by blow of the most boring details of it. But um, but yeah, it, it's really cool. And it turned out like really beautifully. So I'm, I'm very happy with it. So uh, that's been a big, a big project that has taken up a lot of, uh, you know hours in the weekend and things like that so can
2: I ask like so I have like this thing that I say a lot where like I'm not I I do my very best in life not to be like destination oriented I try to be like journey oriented because the Mm. destination can be so like now that you're getting close to the end of this do you have like this hollow feeling where like you're just like well now what (laughs) um not really
0: I think it's because we're always in the move in some way and like have projects working on like before you came to Slash Film, um, you know, in, in the old days of Slash Film Daily, I would talk a little bit about, like, the travel videos that I used to make uh, where my wife and I would go to whatever, some far-flung country or Hawaii or wherever and, and like, just film a bunch of stuff and make things and, uh, I mean, like, make, you know, turn all that footage into a video and some basically serves as like a video representation of this trip that we took. And so we we went to Hawaii in 2019 and have not had time to work on that video since because we moved into this house and have been doing all this work and and you know this library project was huge. So now I feel like we'll probably just roll right into okay, we have this backlog of uh, project like video projects that we need to work on in terms of editing and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I guess there's the short answer is Ryan, there's no time for a hole to grow when, you know, something else drops right into it.
2: <laughs> oh, well that's no, that's great. Yeah. Cause that's like, cause yeah, I've, I, some people, they, you know, like I, I, was worried I would have that when I ran my half marathon earlier this year, but then like, luckily I was just like, okay, this was just like part of the process. And you know, so, you oh know, yeah. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, that, that whole, like just focusing on the end thing can get a little, get a little rough, but
0: well, speaking on uh, focusing on the end, uh, you've got a wedding coming up, and w- what kind of wedding planning have you been doing?
2: Not, not so. I I got engaged uh, a little over a month ago, and uh, and so we've just started. Like we had our engagement party recently, and so we've just now kind of started. Like, okay, here's the we need to start planning. But luckily, with my fiance, who is absolutely just wonderful, um, it's been easy. Like it's just been like we because we both we 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 like said the thing like we want to keep it cheap and easy and we actually both mean that so like you know in the planning it's been uh, you know relative to planning a wedding like easy to do that and uh yeah. we're just going to do Vegas next year and so it's been it's been really great and so i'm just looking forward to to like the actual like you know getting to that point but um but yeah so you know it's it should it shouldn't be too bad and but yeah it's just been cool to like you know i i at this point like it was, Cause I'm almost thirty five, so like it's been, you know, I'm a, yeah, I don't know, like a, I've known people that have been married for years, and it's just kind of like crazy for me to now be like, oh wow, like now I'm planning my wedding and I'm gonna actually get married. Whoa, what the hell? Yeah. Uh, so it's like it's it's like a crazy like head trip that like I'm sort of in this position, but um, you know, it's it's great, and I'm just it's just mostly like it's all awesome. Like I'm just so happy about it. and, Like I'm not like there's no stress. Like there's no like oh man, this is so stressful. Like I'm just like it's great. So yeah, uh, well- Jenna who works with Jenna, uh, she's been helping me. Because uh, she got married uh, earlier this year, and she's been kind of helping me with some tips that they used and stuff like that, and so that's been great. And it's just, it's just been awesome.
0: Yeah, awesome, man. Well, yeah, welcome to the club. Uh, I'm I'm celebrating my 10th wedding anniversary this year. So,
2: oh, holy uh... crap.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay. Uh, let's get into, let's see, what have we been reading? I read a book called All the Light We Cannot See. Have you ever heard of this book, Ryan?
2: Didn't it book? get turned into something or isn't it about to be turned into something? Am I, am I wrong is. about that? It is. Yeah.
0: So it's, it's, a, it's a, a book that came out in 2014. It's, a, it's a, a book set during World War II, and it is about this uh, blind French girl who... Um, goes to basically live with her um, her uncle in this house after Paris has been invaded by Nazi Germany. And it's this sort of split story between her story and what happens to her as she is like forced out of her own home and her her entire life is completely upended. And then this also, it's also the story of a, a young German boy who is accepted into this military program and becomes basically like a member of the Hitler Youth kind of thing. But he he grew up listening to the radio and he's like a a tech savvy guy. And his younger sister is like absolutely, uh, against everything that the Nazis stand for. And she serves as the kind of like angel on his shoulder of like, while uh, the Nazis and, and the Nazi regime are like basically telling him, trying to indoctrinate him. He's, he's able to sort of mentally resist a little bit from that. And, and, um, the, uh, paths of these characters end up crossing in uh, a really interesting way um it's a, a beautiful book and like one of the rare books that i've read in let's call it the past 10 years or so where i've just like have not wanted the book to end because i didn't want to leave that world because the prose is so good and the story is so good and the characters are so well drawn that i just wanted to like I wanted the book to go on forever. Um, so that's a, a, I would say, high praise from me uh, for this book, All the Light We Cannot See. And the adaptation that you're talking about is, it's actually going to be a TV series on Netflix. I thought it was going to be a movie because I watched the trailer that came out, I think, late in April. And it's a great trailer. Even if you haven't read the book, I would recommend watching this trailer because I think it's like one of the best trailers of 2023 so Are, are
2: you, are, having read the book and speaking so effusively about it, like, are you... Does it feel like something that can be captured well in an adaptation, or are you a little worried that it the like it's not gonna live up?
0: No, I think it it can, and the trailer actually looks great. like it looks like this is gonna be unbelievable. Like I cannot wait to watch the thing. so um, the only thing is when I was watching the trailer originally and at the end of April when it was released, I thought this was a movie, but evidently it's a four part series on Netflix, which I was just not expecting at all. And that like completely threw me for a loop. But I guess because of the sort of sprawling nature of what of the the story in the book, I guess I'm glad that it's gonna be a show because it's not gonna have to hopefully it's not gonna have to like jettison major plot lines or anything like that to keep to like a two and a half hour runtime or whatever. So um, yeah I'm I'm very excited like the cast is great um yeah cuz like Mark Ruffalo's in it yeah and and uh this guy named um Louis Hoffman who Started this Netflix show called Dark, this German uh, yeah, sci-fi yeah, yeah, show. Yeah, um, yeah which I, I watched and finished and really enjoyed. Um, so I'm happy to see him there, and like, Hugh Laurie is in it as well. Um, but yeah, it looks it looks really really good. So I just wanted to put that on people's radars. The book is incredible. All the light we cannot see is the name of it, and then it's going to be a Netflix show that is coming to the streamer in November. Um, what have you been reading, Ryan?
2: I did. I you know I don't do as much reading as you do. It sounds like, but I, I started a. Uh, Sam Neill put out a a autobiography called did I ever tell you this Uh, and he kind of wrote it like after he found out he got like a cancer diagnosis and it was like really touching and like I did the audiobook and just having he's got like the most pleasant voice in the world and like so that was like a really nice just like a nice simple you know just kind of his life story and it was very charming I thought Um, I don't have anything like super profound to say about it but like I I quite like Sam Neill and 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 I was very charmed by the whole thing it, it flew by for me so um uh but but the one i'm reading right now that i that i'm like really into I have this weird like a lot of people I, there's like I, I don't i'm not much for like conspiracy stuff but there's a few things that get me like i i really like bigfoot and that sort of stuff and then i, I i'm obsessed with the db cooper case uh like the the unsolved skyjacking the only unsolved skyjacking in american history. so i there's a book just called skyjack by jeffrey gray that i'm reading sort of about um uh, one of the more compelling like this very well might have been D.B. Cooper cases. Um, and so uh, I'm, I'm about a, a, approaching halfway done with that. And it, it's very compellingly written. It kind of goes back and forth between like an investigation and an insane documentation of the skyjacking itself. And so it kind of like weaves almost like a cinematic story through like a journalistic lens. It's pretty cool. Nice, uh, but yeah, yeah that but again, sounds awesome.
0: Did you watch that? Um, I think it was an HBO documentary. Like,
2: yeah, yeah, that ago? one. Yeah. that one didn't do much for me. Like that, that, that. Um, it, it, it just felt very like I don't know. It, it, it didn't quite st- strike at anything that interested me more than a. Uh, I, yeah, I, it
0: felt it felt fairly surface level and like not super satisfying. I agree with that. I was no, just curious if you watched I, it.
2: The problem with the DB Cooper thing is like it's it's hard to to deliver satisfying because we don't ultimately know. And and one of the bigger problems that like two of two or three of the people that like very well could have been DB Cooper, they're like, they're dead now. So like it's like, you know, we don't we might never actually know, but, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, so that, but it's, I, I'm very much digging this book. and Okay. Weird. So that
0: is, that's called Skyjack and it's by Jeffrey Gray. Jeffrey Gray. Um, before but yeah, we move but on weird. to the next thing. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: Oh yeah. Sorry. No, I was just going to say the only other thing, if people want stuff on DB Cooper, there was a, there was an, a show on history at one point called um, Brad Meltzer's Decoded. And they did an, like, an investigative episode about D.B. Cooper. And that's weirdly a pretty compelling thing about D.B. Cooper. So if you can find that somewhere, check that out.
0: Okay, excellent. Yeah, I've, I've never heard of that one. Um, you mentioned Bigfoot a minute ago, Ryan. Did you watch Sasquatch, the 2021 Hulu, th- I think it's a three-episode series So good. Oh, incredible. So good.
2: Yeah, that was one of the best things that came out that year. Incredible.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. I'm very glad that you watched that. We we may have even talked about it at some point. I don't know. I just wanted to make sure that like, oh, you knew about it being a big Bigfoot guy. And then listeners, uh, I'm sure I talked about it when I watched it because I was like raving about it. But it's um, so
2: good. Yeah, Yeah. it's 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 that. And then the other one, the the best Bigfoot movie that's ever been made that nobody saw is called The Vice Guide to Bigfoot, I believe it was called. And it ended up getting like virtually no release. But it's like it's absolutely hilarious, like a mockumentary type thing. So if you can find The Vice Guide to Bigfoot, please, please watch that. It's so Um, fun. Okay, what else have you been reading? I won't spend too much time on this, but there was a a book dropped a few weeks ago. It was a new comic series by Robert Kirkman, who wrote The Walking Dead, called Void Rivals. And it's through his company, Skybound. And it's not necessarily spoiling anything now because they've been talking about this a lot, but it actually came with a surprise reveal that they are now creating a new shared comic book universe that includes the Transformers and G.I. Joe. And within, within this new comic book, you read and and what i what i like about it is void rivals the first issue that's out is a compelling story on its own but then there's a reveal in the middle of the book i won't spoil how but they they reveal a transformer as a character in the book and then so you're like oh shit what <laughs> and then it's like and then skybound confirmed cuz they got the license for transformers and gi joe uh, last year that they are now building out like a, a new continuity for both franchises and all these stories will like sort of weave together but it sounds like they're very much making it like you can read the transformers book. If you want, you can read the, the GI Joe stuff if you want. And every once in a while there, there'll be a little bit of intersection, but like it, it void rivals on its own was cool. And then the fact that there's like a glimmer of transformers in it was like super dope. And I, I kind of like where it's going. So, um, it was so pretty
0: so cool. did you have the, the full, like, uh, watching, M. Night Shyamalan split and realizing in the final moments that uh that it was actually, you know, in the unbreakable universe. Did you know when you were re- when you picked up Void Rivals that it had that connection in it or did you discover it? Organically? Uh, so
2: unfortunately, it did get spoiled for me, but but it didn't. I, I think in a way I was almost happy about that because I was sort of able to like read it. And then like and then I can like confidently say that it still actually really worked like like I wasn't just sort of reading it for the for the Transformers because I knew it was like a very small part of it. But like, so, so I think it was like a cool way to do it because it was like, Hey, this is a compelling story on its own, but this does not feel shoehorned in here. And here's this cool thing that we are now sort of teeing up. And so I sort of really liked the way they handled it. Nice.
0: Okay. Let's get into what we've been watching. Uh, a, A movie that you really enjoyed, Ryan, just celebrated its 15th anniversary.
2: One of my very favorite movies of all time. I say this as a person who, I don't even consider Batman a superhero and I barely like Batman as a comic book character. But The Dark Knight is the best movie ever made adapted from a comic book. Period. And uh, it celebrates its 15th anniversary today. Watched it on 4K again last night. It's one of those movies I've seen so many times you think like you can't I I know this movie. I know this movie. And I just like watched it again last night. It was like almost with fresh eyes where it was like holy shit this movie's good. <laughs> and uh, in particular, I kind of had a bit of a different read on on um, Aaron Eckhart's brilliant performance as Harvey Dent in that movie. And where I didn't really ever pick on as pick up on as much as like him being a fan of Batman and him sort of and that sort of like inspiring his political career a little bit. And then sort of the broken heart he suffers when he realizes like the folly of his big hero and like that sort of leading to his like villain transformation like that really like. Got me. That was like kind of a new thing, a new layer I hadn't picked up on as much, but mm. it's that movie, man, just uh, just 15 years later. I I mean, I, I it's so good. <laughs> yeah. What can you say about it? It's yeah. it's
0: a, like a, a full blown classic and it was even on its release. So I'm, I'm glad that it still continues to hold up
2: yeah it's it's i mean i don't want to sound like the guy like wow the dark knight's a good movie but like holy shit is the dark knight still a good movie (laughs) Yeah.
0: okay so you also went back uh early in in spielberg's filmography
2: yeah so spielberg's my favorite director but i had never seen duel his original that first like made for tv movie he made years ago in the 70s and uh me and my buddy back in arizona we do a movie night once a week and and i sort of picked this and grabbed it universal actually put out a nice blu-ray of it a little while ago and they they did the slightly extended version. So it kind of actually, you know, functions as a movie instead of like a made for TV, like 78 minute movie. And for a guy with no resources, no budget, and no features under his belt. What a very compelling, interesting movie. I don't know that, I don't know that it's altogether great, but like you see it all there, like Spielberg's there. And it was interesting to go back and sort of see that being the fan of his that I was. Have you seen Duel?
0: You know, I've just seen bits and pieces of it. This is one that I've never actually sat down and watched. So I need to it's been on my list for for what feels like decades at this point, And I've just never gotten around to it.
2: That was my thing, too. And I finally got around to it. I was like and I was happy I did. I don't know that it's like I can't like resoundingly be like, oh, my God, everyone needs to go watch Duel. But it's like it, it particularly with like the man Spielberg became. It's interesting to go back and see it.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you also had a chance to see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, part one, in IMAX. Tell me about that.
2: Yeah, so I I rarely do IMAX, but out here in Austin, they have uh, the Bullock Museum out here, and they have an IMAX theater attached to it. And I'd been told quite a few times, like, you need to go to the Bullock IMAX. So I was like, I finally did it for one of those early fan screenings for Dead Reckoning last week, and... I mean, picked a good movie to do in IMAX. Uh, Okay, let me
0: actually, let me interrupt you, Ryan. Before you get into your thoughts on the movie itself, I had a chance to see this movie in in a local IMAX that is like out by the World Golf Village, which uh, I think is closing down or something. Uh, It's like Northeast Florida, close to, close-ish to where I live. And I was so incredibly annoyed by my IMAX experience because they did this thing where they were playing the featurettes for the movie yes before, what was that about like while you're sitting there waiting for the movie to, sh- to start and I was wondering if that was like a nationwide thing or if that was just the idiots no, running they my did. theater
2: it was so dumb like why would they like cause I cause they're like showing they're almost like spoiling elements of the yes. movie before yeah. like, and so I actually went and used the back because I was like, I have like a terrible like I, I got a bladder the size of a thimble. So I was like, well, I'm just gonna go to the bathroom again. Screw it, like just to make sure. Yeah, It was ridiculous. What the hell was that? I mean, like not to take anything away from the movie, but yeah, that, I thought that was ridiculous.
0: Yeah, really uh, questionable uh, decision making there. Okay, all right, that was just my little annoyance. I was no, but particularly
2: to... for a movie that's already very long. Like it was yeah. like come on, like yeah. that. So I uh, no, I'm 100 percent with you. That was so and strange.
0: like I'm I'm already here. I've already paid to see it. Like show me that stuff after the movie. Like, give me the option to stick around after and see how things were done. Don't yeah. Show because me... I
2: felt like particularly they had they had the one that was about the car chase. I'm like, dude, don't show me the car chase. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking watch this right now. Don't. <laughs> like, like, sorry, I don't mean to curse, but like, I was like, yeah, no, I had that. I'm glad you brought that up because I had that same thing with it.
0: Okay, so what did you think about the movie itself?
2: Uh, so I am a huge fan of these movies if you go back to like mission Impossible three, I think the first mission possible is a, is a good nineties action movie, but it's not like what I go in for, but I think three on these movies have been everything that I go in for. Um, and mission Impossible fallout. I held up as like, like at the time I was like, this is what all blockbusters should aspire to be. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I was very taken with fallout. So, um, I was very excited about it. I, I will say this, it suffers a little bit from half a movie syndrome. I, I don't want to, sp- do spoilers really too much for people that haven't seen it but the villain the actual villain i i was a little bit like rolled my eyes about um mm-hmm. i don't know how effective it was but as an action movie as a character piece as like an example of what like blockbusters should look like and feel like I- again very much in line with the last you know three or four mission impossible movies so i had a really good time with it but yeah. I, I would put it three or four, third or fourth on my rankings, but but that's still good company to be in.
1: Okay,
0: yeah, people can go back last week and listen. Chris and I did like a big ranking episode of the whole franchise on uh, last Thursday. So uh, check that out if you haven't heard it yet. Um, okay, let's get into... I, I watched three things that I want to talk about briefly. Uh, Pride and Prejudice, the 2005 film by Joe Wright, which I think Chris so talked about... Yeah, Chris talked about not too long ago on the show. I'd never seen it, and... Uh, Chris had mentioned it and I was like, you know what? I'm finally, this is another movie that's been on my list for a long time. I'm just going to get around to watching this thing. And it's so, so good. It's like one of the best uh, Jane Austen adaptations. I think one of the best, uh, like of these sort of like lush romantic period pieces, even if it's not by Jane Austen, there's like a whole subgenre of these. And, you know, when I was younger, I would avoid these movies like the plague, but I'm so glad that like my tastes have evolved to a place where I can certainly appreciate and, and like outright love movies like this now. And I was just like, I was, I was cheating myself back in the day by like being, you know, stupid and ignoring these movies because uh, especially this one is so, so good. And I feel like this might be the best Keira Knightley performance of her entire career. Like she, she just is completely um, effervescent and like knocked it out of the park. And I thought Matthew McFadden, who, um, as we mentioned, like on, on that other episode of the show, is like so distinctive as his character of Tom in Succession and and is like wildly different here um it was also just like lights out the whole movie and i just i loved every minute of this so it's a uh, you
2: talk about a gorgeous looking movie too oh, like, yeah, holy shit yeah it's, i i like that movie a lot
0: yeah, really, really good stuff there. So, Pride and Prejudice, two thousand five. Check it out. Uh, I also watched The Day After Trinity, which is a documentary from nineteen eighty that is streaming on the Criterion Channel right now. And the reason that I watch this is because I'm going to see uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie later this week, just as hopefully the in the entire rest of the world is going to do. Uh, <laughs> and this is a documentary about J. Robert or J. Robert Oppenheimer and and sort of the um you know his, his whole uh his whole thing to, to create the Manhattan project and, and the a bomb and uh, all of that. So it's, it's uh, I would say it's, it it feels kind of like a made for TV documentary and it's not the full uh, scope of his life. It's, it's much more like a bunch of academics, um, friends and colleagues of his being interviewed a few years after this whole thing went down uh, and like just looking back on him and his life and talking about his, their experiences with him and like, what he was thinking in certain moments. His brothers interviewed in there a couple times. Um, so I, I learned a lot about this time in history and, and the whole A-bomb situation and the Manhattan Project and stuff that I'd never known about, but I feel like it was good homework going into Oppenheimer just to sort of lay a foundation for what to expect for Christopher Nolan's movie. So um, it does not get into like his personal life or his wife or his mistress or like any of the the sort of, Uh, I guess you would call them like juicier, um, you know, human moments. It's much more like, okay, broad, you know, uh, macro view. Here's what he was kind of doing. Here's the the cultural context that this was all happening. Um, which was like very, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a nice, like, um, um, I don't know what you would call it, like a like an appetizer, I guess, for <laughs> for um, the actual Oppenheimer movie that I'm going to see later this week. So if you are like me and are, you know already have your tickets booked for Oppenheimer and like know almost nothing beyond like your you know public school education <laughs> from you know high school, junior high, or whatever of of that time in history, I would recommend maybe watching this just to to sort of get that base level uh, of knowledge because I, I think it might come in handy. Um, knowing, hey, oh, it's that person. Okay, understand like a little bit more about what Nolan might be trying to do in his film. So, uh, the day after Trinity is on um, the Criterion Channel right now, and it's actually it was written by uh, David Peoples, who wrote Blade Runner and Unforgiven and Twelve Monkeys and a bunch of other movies. So, um, <laughs> like, yeah, weird, so weird, weird connection there. Uh, David yeah. Peoples and, and Janet Peoples, his um, his wife, I believe. Uh, she also wrote. Um, 12 monkeys and uh, yeah, several major credits. So, uh, yeah, there's that, and then also I I watched Casino for the first time. Have you ever seen this uh, Martin Scorsese's 1995 movie Casino? Yeah,
2: I I have some unpopular opinions about Casino uh, uh, that I like it more than Goodfellas. Uh, interesting. It's sort of, okay, it's sort of my my big wide, wildly unpopular opinion about Casino, but um. interesting. Yeah, so
0: I love the performances of this movie and the look of it. Like the um, there are so many like there, the, first of all, there's a ton of narration in this thing. Like there's a lot of narration. Goes goodfellas but like not like this this movie is like so much narration from a bunch of different people including de niro and joe pesci um and it obviously reunites them with scorsese uh it's only like a couple of, a few years after goodfellas so like and I think joe I'm bob riggs yeah i think a lot of people were like um were disappointed in this comparing it to goodfellas but because i came to it so late in life this was my first time watching it I wasn't really doing the Goodfellas comparison. I was just kind of like watching it on its own terms. And I I enjoyed the experience of watching it. Like I thought it was like, the costumes were incredible. There there are moments where De Niro is just wearing like the loudest suits imaginable. And like the the whole Vegas of it all is, is played up in a really, really entertaining way. Um, I thought Sharon Stone was like, absolute knockout, like just delivering some of the best work of her entire career. And James Woods pops up in like this really skeezy role, like doing perfect James Woods face. And like, you know, the, the whole thing that he was, he was very good at uh, for a long time in the eighties the and nineties. I think he's just like, uh, you know, this was like the peak of him being that kind of skeezy character. Um, and yeah, there, there's just like a lot to enjoy here from a, a purely like aesthetic uh, perspective, but like, I think I came away from the movie going like, huh, yeah, that was great. I'm, I'm glad I watched that, but I don't plan on rewatching it anytime soon. So um, I don't know. Uh, I'll
2: but- admit I haven't seen it in some time, but but yeah, my 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 recollection is always that I've enjoyed Casino more than I enjoy Goodfellas, which is yeah, uh, which is I know again, I know like wildly, wildly unpopular. But uh, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's a uh, oh, man. That's, I can't believe that slipped under your radar this long. That's that's one of those, especially because like, I feel like that movie was on cable all the time.
0: Yeah, you know what it is? It, it's the three hour runtime. And because it was on cable, it was like four and a half hours or something, and I just never had time to watch it on TV then. And then there are so many things that are on my list that like I can knock out, you know, real quick in the morning before I start work or something like that. And yeah, like a yeah, three yeah, hour yeah. movie is just like a big ask. Um so uh yeah, it just it took me longer than I would have liked to get around to it. But um Boy, you're you know,
2: not kidding though. I forgot about that with cable because I, I got one time I had to go pop over to my mom's place and she had cable and I went over there and Braveheart had just started, but that's like three hours plus cable. I, I got, <laughs> I got stuck in my mom's place for four hours cause I got sucked into it.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, that's, uh, that'll happen. Okay, before we wrap up, let's get into what we've been playing. I haven't been playing anything, but Ryan, you've been playing something.
2: Yeah, I won't. I won't drone out about this too much, but um, I just finished last week. I, it was a shockingly long game, but uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns, which is a Marvel game that came out late last year, um, by the same guys that did um, <clears throat> XCOM, and it's like a turn-based combat game, like a card game, um, with like a really impressive story, uh, we woven in and like tons of characters from the Marvel universe, um. I didn't really know what to expect. I don't normally play those types of games, but the the trailers had impressed me greatly. So I finally picked it up and I had an absolute blast with this game. Like, and, and uh, like, I would put it above Star Wars Jedi Survivor, which I also played this year, like as like games I enjoyed playing. So uh, wow. it's, it's, it's heavily discounted right now because I don't think it's sold as well as like the studio was hoping it would sell, but um, what that means for you, dear listener, is that like, if you are at all interested in this, you can probably get it for like 25 bucks right now. And it's like a really right. long game too. Like, so you get a lot out of it and, and I, I, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I had an absolute blast playing this game. So I, I just would like, I would like to see the game get more of an audience cause they teed up a possible sequel that I don't know is going to happen right now, but I would like to sort of see it happen. So like, yeah. you know, I encourage you go have a good time with this game, please. Cause it was really good.
0: Okay, so that's called Marvel's Midnight Suns, and I think that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. The SlashFilm show is published two times a week, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next time.